Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. This is a space that we created to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete and Olympic champion. I'm a performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior, and I am the host of Mindful Warrior Radio. Today, uh, on episode one, our guests are Cornelia Holden. She is the founder and CEO of Mindful Warrior, a performance coaching and culture design company. Cornelia has nearly spent two decades collaborating with elite athletic coaches, forward-thinking executives, industry leaders, and pioneer educators to address leadership and team effectiveness. Drawing on her extensive educational background and experience, Cornelia has worked with clients in a wide variety of industries, developing mindset and behavioral changes required to affect lasting cultural transformation and performance optimization. Our second guest is Amani Lagonier. She is also a performance and culture coach at Mindful Warrior. Bringing her experience from a decade-long career as a system manager of spiritual health and education in one of the nation's largest community hospital conglomerates. Amani is a specialized spiritual leader who has completed the gold standard program of clinical pastoral education. She brings her expertise in areas such as crisis response, conflict resolution, education theory, interpersonal neuroscience, intercultural relations, spiritual care, a multi-faith theological study to her work at Mindful Warrior. I want to give a warm welcome to both of our guests, Cornelia and Amani, and to our listeners that will be joining us as we take a deeper dive into what it means to be mindful and what it means to be a warrior. How are you? Doing well. How are you all? It's good doing your I know. I was telling Cornelia that I haven't, I don't know when the last time we were on a video call together or the last time that we've like talk talk was almost two months ago. I think it, gosh, you're totally right, Cammie. You're hundred percent right. I was like telling Cornelia, I was like, I feel like kind of like a kid on Christmas morning. I was like, I haven't seen Amani in so long. Well, you both look amazing. You're glowy. Likewise. Well, that's nice to hear. We're, we were just, as we were waiting for you, we're like, wow, we are really tired. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you might, probably are too. We didn't know what we might be getting you from. No, I was just completely crashed out. I've been completely nonstop and I just didn't look at my schedule fast enough. I'm so sorry about that. So no, no worries. We're just, I, again, I think, you know, we're coming in at the end of our days to meet and have, I mean, really you guys, this is just simply a conversation, a discussion, um, a time for us to meet up as teammates, um, as sisters, as friends and have a, a cool conversation that, you know, represents mindful warrior and our life experiences, our journeys, um, through the lens of mindfulness and, and warriorship. So, um, I think, you know, hopefully it's, it's fun, it's enjoyable, and it's really just a flow for, for all three of us. 
Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, we might as well just kind of flow into it at this point. Um, and I, I wanted to start, Amani, I wanted to tap into your feelings and experience around what it's like to have all three of us together um, in the same virtual room. Um, but there seems to be something quite special uh, that happens when all three of us are together. And can you share a little bit about what that is from your perspective? Sure. It feels like an energetic homecoming to me, I think, every time. So the pep rally side of homecoming where you get excited to see each other and you're rooting for the same team, but also um, a real sense of home and hospitality where um, I'm aware that I uh, sense a camaraderie and um, having two amazing, incredible women who I know fully have my back and want the same things, who hold the same values, but who hold them with a very different skill set and set of gifts. So, um, so it's fun and creative and inspirational every time, but also grounding for me to be with the two of you. Yeah, I would have to echo that. I mean, being there's a there's a an immense amount of pride for me when I'm being able to share space with you guys and witness, um, you know, us work or, um, you know, facilitate or perform in any sort of way. But that that teammate ship is really awesome to be a part of. Um, and it's a joy to be able to come in and just kind of pick up where we left off and and have that. I don't know, Cornelia, I could sense maybe there's there's some feelings around us three being together as well. Yeah, I mean, always. It's 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 just nice to I, I didn't realize how long it had been since the two of you have seen each other. That's sort of incredible. And we'd spent so much time together kind of leading up um to the new year. So it's just good to be back together. Absolutely. I think Cornelia, from your position of being the founder and CEO of Mindful Warrior, I'm curious, I mean, we're sitting here all three together representing Mindful Warrior, but I'm curious of what has been your heart-driven kind of mission and vision for Mindful Warrior along these years and, and building it into what it is today? Well, in some ways it's changed and in some ways it's probably stayed the same. I think I've always... I think from the beginning, it was, um, I just wanted to be able to work and help elite athletes figure out how to build teams and reach their goals and do it with pride and with joy and skill. And, um, and then in a way, all of it has just kind of morphed along, you know, over the years with different opportunities and things like that. So I'd say we're still in the business of helping people figure out you know, what their greatest passion is and how to make it realized with other people and not lose themselves totally in the process, but also lose themselves in the process. Like, you know, get get bigger and better than they started, but retain a sense of integrity and dignity um, on the journey. So we're still about skill building, but we're also about, you know, helping people pursue dreams and do it. I think the thing that we probably do well just ourselves, but also we help other people do well is figure out how to stay well connected to um, 
to partners, to partners and to teammates that like bring you alive and, um, make the journey worthwhile. And, you know, like Amani said, have your back. I, I even think like some of the work we do at the corporate sector, just knowing that two people feel like they really got each other's back in a broader system is incredible what that can do to lift one person's spirit or even just a, get a team to function more effectively together. So um, even just like back to what Amani said about feeling like a homecoming and camaraderie and having your back, I think that's in a lot of ways we create space for people to feel that and then do something with the power that comes with um, the experience of having having somebody that you're feeling really connected with. Can you tell me a little bit about where Mindful Warrior, the name comes from for you? Um, well, so I graduated from Lincoln Sudbury High School. We were the Warriors. And I think just being an athlete and, you know, being raised with that as the mascot was, you know, I don't know. I think most athletes can resonate with the idea of being a warrior. Um, so I think I was just raised on that culturally. And then um, I, the, the term mindful came kind of over the years of studying mindfulness and meditation, but also because I saw the downside and shadow side to what can happen when you get too many warriors who are not super skilled in their EQ and you put them together and um, you can end up defaulting to some either aggressive or passive aggressive or um, default behaviors that end up undermining the the light of what a warrior can really bring to the world. So um, for me, it's the importance of stabilizing and clarifying and um, transforming power for, toward the toward good, toward light, toward justice and I think we're doing that in all the spaces that we work in. Absolutely. I I want to explore just with the three of us um, a little bit more um, behind the name Mindful Warrior and um, pose the questions of, you know, through your learnings and your experience, you guys, what does it mean um, for you to be mindful? Well, I'll start just because I've been writing about it a ton. Um, I like personally speaking, which is probably the best place to start uh, rather than philosophically. Um, for me, it's about pace. Um, and, I, you know, as I'm working on this book, I realize that there's a real relationship for me between like the speed that I move and my ability to kind of keep my own humanity and others' humanity alive. So for me, mindfulness is learning how to um, kind of not lean too far forward over my skis or not lean too far forward when I'm doing something and kind of be in my body in this moment rather than, you know, three to a hundred moments ahead. Um, so that's one way it, it is for me, like just in a day-to-day -day thing is just like, okay, am I here and am I present? And, um, and then that also allows me to just take a beat and say, am I showing up in a way to myself and to others that's helpful? 
Um, you know, so much of what we do in coaching is about how we show up, not so much what we say or what we do, but like actually our presence. So um, I guess that's one way I use it to take stock. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can piggyback on that and say, you know, for me, it is a bridge from spirituality into um, daily practice of how we um, both train our brain and discipline our body, but um, orient ourselves intentionally to the world. So because mindfulness has roots in um, contemplative prayer and um, meditative practices um, and takes its cues from wisdom traditions, uh, for me, going back to the source and saying, okay, what is the ground of my being, as Tillich would put it, what um, am I standing in that is most holy and most true and most virtuous? And how can I allow those things to instruct me in calming practices that focus me, that help me to access peace, that help me to access clarity, even if I'm not feeling peaceful. Like for example, if I um, feeling like there's an injustice that's been done, how am I able to laser focus on that so that there's less noise in the system? And I'm not only aware of what I'm looking at and how I'm responding to it, but am orienting myself in a way that I can be more in touch with what I believe my position is both immediately and cosmically and divinely in terms of how to approach whatever that is. Um, at the core of it, I think relationally, it helps with um, flow, which Cornelia has also written about at length. Um, but it's a touchstone. It's finding a touchstone in myself that allows me to um, find the beat for how to walk in the world. It's, it's, it's really cool listening to both of your perspectives. I don't know if I've directly asked you this question before in our time together, although there's so many elements of our conversation and work that we've through what mindfulness is to us. And I think even being a former athlete and thinking about what mindfulness is to me is that connection to self and connection to what's real. Um, I think athletics has a way of being humbling um, and there's not much, you can't really hide out there when you're like wrestling against a giant Hungarian woman, like in the middle of a water polo match. Right. Um, and there's so your mind can go so many places. And so how do you stay connected to self and to what's true and what's real? And, you know, Cornelia talking about being present in the moment and keeping pace and not being too far forward um, in your pacing and Amani, you staying connected as well. I mean, it's just at the base of it, you know, there's a lot of, through themes and in what mindfulness is to us. Um, I also think that I can, at times my warriorship can be a lot stronger than my mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will push my mindfulness to the side and just say, hold on, let me just kind of armor up for this and we'll just trudge through it. Um, but there's an element of mindfulness that again, keeps you connected and really brings you to the present. Um, that that's, that's important for just how you're showing up in life, um, how you're performing, um, and just how you're being right. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely a dance there, like you described, between the impulse to go and go hard. And um, um, eventually, I think what we're trying to, I'm trying to work on, but I think we're also trying to help others work on is when those can be, it's almost like when, I mean, really, it's like the, the deep transformation that can come about such that the practice is what's driving the the warrior so to speak or the or the or the body or the mind spirit like it's it's really when that becomes embodied it's really profound i think that's i've had times of that of course and then there are times when like you said they feel <clears throat> they feel separated but when the when em, like embodied mindfulness like the embodied ability to allow grace or awareness or presence to guide you physically, mentally, emotionally is, um, I, I, to me, that's like what flow is. And that's also what elite level performance is when it's animated by what I would call concentrated stillness. Then um, there's like a really profound gravity and grace in the middle of the movement. That's right. Or the action. Yeah. And I I think it's paradoxical in a way, um, unless you really understand uh, warrior in a, um, a context that includes both skill and intentionality. <laughs> I think in our Western culture, I'll say, you know, especially in the United States, the idea of the warrior can be conflated with the idea of someone who is more of a GI Joe type soldier um, and aggressively going and fighting um, an objectified other, right? I think that the warrior piece coupled with mindfulness um, in the model that we're trying to embody, as you put it, Cornelia, is um, much more nuanced and has to do with how we use ourselves and use our power in the world to enact transformative change or invite transformative change um, in a way that is not aggressive, um, but is very potent uh, at the bottom line and is not confronting so much as it is stabilizing because it is so much in integrity. And it is so true that it's like when you um, encounter it, you're encountering a tuning fork and you can't help but to entrain on that at some level or actively choose not to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's beautifully said, Amani. I think the entrainment and the tuning fork is profound. And I think, Kami, like if I think about that in the context of elite athletes and teams, I imagine there were times when you, as a as a rookie looked to somebody on the team who could be your tuning fork. Like you're like that, they, how they embody themselves, how they carry themselves, how they use their power, as Amani was saying, you know, as a force for good, that's not hyper aggressive, but that's not, you know, passive in a way that's not effective. Um, I'm sure you found, you know, those mentors. And then, you know, to Amani's point, I think, you do that for long enough, like we all have been. And, you know, then you get to be the mentor trying to help other people train and attune to, um, you know, 
positive use of power. And, um, and then I, I love what you said, Amani, about like intentionality. I mean, that's, I think there is a way in which warriors can be really um, either unintentional or ignorant or um, unskillful with, with their, either their physical power or their, their positional authority or whatever it is and not understand then how to use that in a successful way. So I think what we, what we do is help um, people, you know, with, in all those different positions, like whether it's an athlete just with their physical power, or it's actually with a leader with positional authority, like to use Amani's language, um, which she's used historically, like vector that power in a direction that's actually effective, skillful, and um, yes, like ultimately amplifying, um, I was going to say the good, but I think that's so subjective. So I, I would say amplifying like humanity and um, integrity wh wherever, you know, you are. I think Does that makes really, sense? Yeah. And I think what's cool that's like kind of coming from both of what you're saying is mindfulness is so much more than sitting down cross-legged and, and finding, you know, the stillness in that moment. It, it comes it comes up and it's called upon. Um, you have to focus to tap into it in so many different moments. Um, and so I, I, I'm curious of what is, what has been your experience or your relationship with mindfulness? You know, are you always aware of when you're coming from a mindful place? Um, or when you're kind of in that pocket, do you have to call upon it? Do you have to be disciplined at times? Is it something that subconsciously you flow into? What's been your experience and your relationship with that? Um, and if you feel far from that, how do you get back to it? Well, I was thinking about what you just said about it not being just on the cushion. And, um, or, you know, in, as Imani said, it's a contemplative practice with roots, right? To... Um, you know, mindfulness can be a Christian practice of contemplative prayer. It can be a Buddhist practice of meditation. Um, it can, it, it, you know, it can take up different, like, specific skills. And I think about it from an athletic perspective, Cami. like, there's a time when, you, you know, an athlete has to learn to, to do a new thing, a new, a new shot or a new, what, yeah, just take that, um, and so, you know, there's like the practice of doing that thing over and over. And I think mindfulness on the cushion or in prayer is is the is the practicing it over and over, such that eventually it becomes something that's so embodied that you don't have to think about doing that specific shot. You just it is part of your repertoire. And not only eventually it's not even a repertoire, it's almost like it is part of you. And those are progressive stages of mindfulness. I think what you're hearing Amani and Amani and I are talking about is the later stages of mindfulness when it's a fully realized, embodied, day-to-day -day way of orienting. And it's, you know, a major like metacognitive skill where, you know, it allows you to, you know, Ha to take a perspective of yourself or of a situation and make a choice about how you want to act or react. Um, so 
with that said, I would just say there are times when I'm needing to spend time um, back in the fundamentals of sitting on a cushion or in prayer or with a piece of scripture that's like guiding my day or my week or my year. Um, and to me, that's just like we say in sports, get back to the fundamentals, practice the forehand, practice the backhand. So like that's sometimes how I use it. There are other times when, because I've been doing it for so long, um, I do find like I've started out doing something and I'm like, whoa, I got to take a beat because I think I've headed in a direction that is not intentional or is, or is subconsciously or unconsciously not going to support my goal. And so it's like that metacognitive awareness that was created by having done the practice that makes, allows me to take a beat and pull out of something before I end up too far into the weeds on something I didn't want to do. And then there are other times when it's like skiing for me, for example, where it's just like liquid presence in motion. And then that's, you know, a whole other thing that sometimes I can access when I'm writing and sometimes I can access in my work. Um, but I definitely like feel it when um, it's at elite level, kind of Im full embodied reality of like my sport. Amazing. Amani, do you have any sort of thoughts around your relationship and connection with mindfulness? Sure. I'm just resonating with so much of what's already been said and um, how poetically um, you put that, Cornelia. I could really see you in so many of your spaces uh, functioning out of what you're talking about. Um, and I'm imagining myself and mine, you know, in leadership um, and administration um, in a hospital during a pandemic. Um, there are all these moments of being invited into anxiety, um, real fear and worry for my team and concern for the people that we serve in all of our hospitals as spiritual care responders. There, um, is my role as a mom and family member, you know, friend, all the places where um, your soul touches love for me are places where um, anxiety and fear can come, especially fear of loss right now in our culture. And so at those edges, the edges of the unknown things or the edges of the things that um, are not easily or ever controlled, those are the places really where I access um, what we're calling mindfulness, but what I really see as centering prayer and um, deep consciousness um, come in. And I think you're absolutely right, Cornelia. You know, um, it can be very, very simple. It can be as simple as a devotional or conversation with um, a friend or colleague who's a touchstone. Um, it can be as complex as really plumbing the depths of my own triggers and my socialized responses in order to figure out whether or not I'm in more of a reactive mode or a responsive mode. Um, so um, spiritual reflexivity, but also just um, psychological balance, um, all of those things factor into it. And at the end of the day, it's not 
one thing. I think even in mindfulness circles in psychology, um, they're finding out so many different applications for mindfulness, different ways in, different kinds of mindfulness for different tasks, for example. Um, and we're learning as human beings how to use these beautiful brains that we have and these bodies that we have to move through the world in a way that we can be consciously um, driving our own vehicle of our own mind, body, and spirit. Um, when I can just breathe through something, I sometimes know that I've been mindful after the fact more than in the moment when it's in flow. It's when I'm able to just really um, live into something without a hitch. Me second guess where I am. And I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, thinking about where I am. It's more, I know that I'm so much in integrity with what I believe with value centered culture, for example, with um, what I call God, with um, loving kindness and compassion, that even if there are missteps in communication along the way, or if something doesn't go exactly as I hoped for in that day, the overarching ethos of my life and the way that I'm functioning in the world has an integrative point that feels true, that feels um, ethical, that feels merciful, and that aligns with um, how I hope to be in relationship with others and myself in the world. Beautifully said. I think it's, I, I heard you when you were talking about mindfulness really coming to the forefront. I mean, we've got so many applications of how we can learn or be exposed or um, different ways of teaching mindfulness now in the world. And it's incredible the stage that, that it has at this point and the importance um, that's growing around it. I just listening to you guys speak about your experience with mindfulness and it being new, maybe, or newly introduced to a lot of people. What would you say to individuals who are, who are trying their practice? Um, they're putting in the reps, Cornelia, as you said, with mindfulness um, and their minds, going to, am I doing this right? This feels wrong. Am I doing this right? This feels wrong because it can be something, you know, mindfulness is not something we can really grab a hold of. It's, it's kind of trust in that process of building, um, that practice, those repetitions and making it yours. Um, what might you say to someone who's just embarking, um, on that journey of what is mindfulness? How do I dance with it? And, and, Am I doing it right? Hmm. Um, I can jump in on this one and say, if you feel like you're doing it wrong at the beginning, you are doing it right. Um, because <laughs> that's that. getting in touch with um, what um, a lot of Buddhists would call your monkey mind. And the idea that, you know, we all at some level as human beings have a propensity for not being in focus, uh, for not tracking our thoughts in a particular way. And so the first step of actually trying to tame that beast is to understand it as a beast and to understand it as a creative opportunity and all of these other ways that we can get to know ourselves and our capacities. 
Um, so that kind of uh, discomfort of, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in a bubby rail car or, you know, I'm just not doing this right, I think is, is a wonderful, wonderful affirmative sign that you are now observing your mind probably as it is. And uh, the more you get to know yourself as you are and your mind as it is, the more you can begin to ease into 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes of focus, of calm, of inviting yourself back to center. And the more you do that in whatever way you're choosing to do it through breath, through other kinds of awareness practices, through prayer, through meditation, through walking and connecting with nature. Um, everyone will find their own way in. It's the um, deciding to stick to the journey rather than give up on yourself because you figured out that this might not be something that's second nature until you practice it in nature uh, for a very long time. And then you go back to it after you've forgotten, after all those many years that you've practiced how to do it over again it goes in cycles like life does <laughs> mm -hmm. Cornelia do you have any advice for those who feel like is this thing working I mean uh, ditto to everything Amani just said um I think um she's obviously right that you know when you start it's it's um it's disorienting because you, the, basically the way it works is most of us don't know that we can observe ourselves. So we're so embedded in our own experience that there's not a real space between ourselves and our, what we would, what they call in Buddhism, the, the witness. So the ability to actually know that you can orient to yourself from a witness perspective, like that you can actually basically turn the lights on on your own experience um, is for most people when I start with them, they're like, wait, yeah, I, I guess I can kind of sort of watch what I do, but often we're just so identified with I am angry, I am sad, I am, I am all of the weather patterns that move through me rather than actually what if i am the sun observing all of the weather patterns that are moving through me um that's what i try to i mean it is don't get me wrong when i get upset or frustrated or have a bad day the idea i was trying this out because i'm writing about it i was like i wonder if i could really do this you know um but you know, like, can I really, when I'm feeling this terrible, can I really try to remember that I am the sun and I've just got like a crappy ass, excuse me, weather pattern moving through my system and it's hard right now. And I'd rather kind of identify with the thunderstorm. Like I'd rather just be like, yeah, I'm raging. <laughs> um, but I'm both, you know, like I can, and that's to me the big first step in mindfulness is just recognizing that it's both and. It's not just you are all of the storm. Um, above the storm is the sun and the sun is always there. Um, and so that's usually the second step is just having people begin to envision an identity that's not solely from the place of the disturbances in the field. I think it's incredible encouragement and a, and a great place to start 
Um, and I think, you know, just reflecting on all of the words that you both have shared, just how mindfulness can be in so many different places and in through so many different practices, you know, um, and I think that can come to anyone in any walk of life in any kind of fashion. Right. Um, and that it's not, it's not one specific thing. It's kind of in, in everyday moments um, and your ability to return to center, Amani, as you said, and, and that connection with self um, and pacing and the awareness, um, which is a neat thing to think about. You're making me think, Cami, that I'd be, I'd be interested for, for if Amani and I spent just a minute thinking about what is our definition. I mean, we're both sort of very technically trained. So I think we would, you know, because there are things that mindfulness is not, and there are things that mindfulness is. And while it manifests in all these different ways that we've been talking about, there are definitions of it. And I think that is sometimes helpful for people too, to understand what it actually is. And then also, I think we've been talking a lot about how it's applied and the experience of it. Um, but like John Kabat-Zinn, um, who's trained in, you know, was sort of originally trained in the Burmese mindfulness meditation tradition, talks a lot about mo moment by moment awareness um, as the practice of mindfulness. So the ability to like I said, almost like have a camera on or a flashlight on your experience and having, when that's on, um, you can begin to see what's happening. And then you are, the you is sort of beginning to see from the perspective of the non-judgmental lens of the camera, rather than, like I said, being, um, thrown around by the experience of the thunderstorm or the hurricane that can, like Amani said, or the puppy that's running around your mind, as she said. So I would say what mindfulness is as it's being understood primarily in the United States right now, but that traces back to Buddhist and Hindu traditions in that way, though I would say even in, I mean, maybe Mani, you would want to speak to centering prayer specifically, for example, but, but at least if, if I were to speak from within the current mindfulness movement, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, which comes from John Kabat-Zinn. Um, it's moment by moment, non-judgmental awareness of what is arising in your field of experience. And that's thoughts, feelings, and sensations. I think that's well said. Um, and then there are spinoffs of that and there are points of origin for that, you know? Um, because, you know, the West, we do, we owe a debt of gratitude for um, John Kabat-Zinn's work and um, what came out of UMass and all these things that are ways of kind of secularizing and packaging, again, ancient wisdom. For me, um, the ancient wisdom is really helpful to return to. Um, and so the idea of listening deeply to words not my own um in teams mindfulness i wanted to pick up this stitch cornelia 
has a lot to do with how you give and receive feedback, um, how you're able to take things um, in, look at them, um, decide what belongs to you, what's yours to hold and what's not. Um, the, the curating and caretaking of how you create your selfhood is part of mindfulness and how you create your role. And so reflective practice is what I'm steering into. Um, are there ways um, that, and this is just for the audience here, can you think of some ways that you gather feedback through your day and bring them in, um, whether in that moment or later on, to reflect on who you were and how you were in that moment, how you're orienting again to the people around you and the function that you've um, hopefully covenanted to fulfill or the functions that you've been thrown into either way. And then can you come back and make those choices? Um, the awareness of your thoughts and feelings and sensations is really important as a root, but that root happens in a context. It happens in a garden of experience. And so ideally at the end of the day, you're able to not just bear witness to yourself, you're bearing witness to yourself in the midst of others, um, other living beings, and then all of creation, all of the cosmos, and trying to figure out where you stand in the midst of all of that in a way that feels, um, for me, um, the hallmark of what I call the Holy Spirit is, is peace. If I can be a, truly at peace with something, um, with an idea or with an action, I know that I'm more likely to be close to where I want to be with the divine or where I want to be with purpose. And if I'm not at peace about it, I know I'm probably not at peace for a reason that I need to look at and maybe recalibrate my, um, my feeling about it, my response to it, or what I'm going to actually do about it. Uh, but all of that happening in kind of this reflective paradigm where you're inviting in trusted others and cultivating community with trusted others where you can bounce off, you know, how does this feel to you? Can we collaborate about how we want to respond to the world together? And am I, am I right or wrong in how I'm orienting to myself? Um, am I in my best self? Am I in integrity? not just asking yourself those questions, but holding those questions in community, I think is part of mindfulness and being a mindful warrior. Um, I just want to hop on that for one second, Kim, I'm sure you have another question, but I, it really makes me think as Amani's talking about that, about, you know, what happens is when you, she's, so the whole, you know, she's taken, I'd really talked about the individual and she really helped us understand that individuals are in a context um, but you know, the minute you start to, that's, to me, that's the next level, right? Which is mindfulness isn't simply about your own awareness, you know, and that's where I'm trying to build on what Amani is saying is that the minute you understand yourself in a broader context and can see your actions or the relationship between you and someone else, um, you do then kind of have to begin to ask some questions about how you're going to live your life and what hard choices are you going to make? Because once you start, as I, Mani will often say to me, now that you see it, you can't unsee it. I think that's uh, talking about hard choices 
Um, I think this is a perfect transition into what does it mean to be a warrior? Um, the second half of this. So, you know, based off of your guys's learnings and experiences, what does it mean for you to be a warrior? Big pivot. That is a big pivot. And I actually am curious about your answer to that question, Cammie. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit while you think about that, because I want you to talk about what a warrior you've been are. Uh, I think it goes back for me to something that we said earlier, which is the the point of intersection between the mindfulness and the warrior is right at the point of how you decide to translate um, that awareness and that knowing into the ethical action that Cornelia is talking about. What makes it warrior-like for me is that it's such a deep willingness to um, fight for the values or sacrifice for or risk for um, what you have identified as the what is most true or most just or most good or most holy or most loving hopefully you know um once you identify what's worth fighting for a lot of times you might know what's worth dying for what's worth living for if you put it in the positive and steering your life accordingly um, takes an incredible amount of discipline. I think that we as human beings are less likely to waste our energy and waste our power on small things that aren't worth <laughs> our time and energy quite as much. If we are, Cornelia, um, and I identify as vectoring it towards the bigger picture, you know, um, how she just interacted with her daughter tells me that she knows that motherhood is more important than a Western model of performance through a lens that polishes off anything that supposed to not be or isn't supposed to be in the frame as it's been externally defined. She's saying, no, my daughter is in the frame because she's a part of me, because love is my guiding principle because motherhood is so core, you know, I'm speaking for you, but I'm resonating with you. So core to who I am in the world that if I'm talking about fighting for what's right, and I'm not in relationship in right relationship with those people around me who are most central to my being and who I want the world to be a good and better place for, then I'm off kilter anyway. So it's, it's walking the talk in a really profound way that feels more seamless. Um, and it's, uh, I say this a lot when I'm um, doing weddings for people, I ask, um, can we do a vow about fierce tenderness? You know, because <laughs> that's one way that I, that I think of love. I think of love as, as fierce tenderness, um, especially companionship as wanting to protect that which is most tender and most pure and being willing to be strong in at the boundary of protecting uh, what is most tender and what is most pure. That's really, really beautiful. Fierce tenderness. I think that is such a, an amazing way to lift up what a warrior is. I think, you know, as I reflected, as you were talking, Amani, I think it's, 
in my experience, what a warrior means to me is a warrior is someone who can define their meaning and purpose and be disciplined in holding that even at times of great challenge, of uncertainty, lack of clarity, or not even seeing the end in sight, not knowing what the end looks like, uh, better said. Um, and even again, I think it really resonated with me, just like even when you're not around like-minded people or who are a part of that meaning or purpose and still holding that close to your heart and knowing that there's there's something there that's keeping you connected to that meaning and that purpose, um, despite the resistance you may be getting. Um, and just, it's a knowing. It's really interesting, I think, in the things that I've deeply rooted my meaning and purpose in throughout my life and people not seeing what that is or understanding it or not even knowing why, really why it is my meaning and purpose, right? Like there's a, a bit of a sense to it, but just knowing that like even in the most challenging part of it, it's still important for me to protect and for me to be disciplined and how I'm moving forward in that. Um, and so I think about that a lot, um, you know, growing up as, you know, a child with learning disabilities and learning differences and, you know, society wanting to write off or not, you know, put an amount of attention or time into, or even being an athlete and, and training in a four-year quad when no one is watching yet, I'm, there's still a meaning and purpose that we have to show up with every day, even when, you know, it seems like we can't see the end to, to all of the, you know, hardships and challenges that we go through. Um, but I think for me, that's just a protection really stood out to me too. Amani is just protecting that, um, and having enough courage to do so. Mm -hmm. There's a piece that's coming in and I want to hear from Cornelia, but um, I'm thinking about the time we spent together with Parker Palmer in retreat um, several years ago now. And some of the training that he did around um, healing the heart of democracy actually is what he was talking about in uh, a book that he'd written close to that time talked about social movements and this tragic gap between the world as it is and the world that we would want it to be and how people who have been revolutionary healers and um, transformative in times like those in times like this are people who understand that in our lifetime we may not win whatever that war may be um, that war against injustice or that war against, um, you know, holding any human being less human than ourselves or that war against um, not holding our land sacred, all of the wars, you know, the real wars, the big wars, um, and still decide to stand in what he calls the tragic gap and to stand in it for real, to stand in it with everything they've got um, to stand in it facing fire hoses and not fighting back and to stand in it fighting with everything that they have and every <laughs> weapon of war that they might be able to muster. We all have to decide according to our own conscious what being a warrior looks like. Being mindful is listening 
for the voice of that conscience. For listening to what Howard Thurman calls the voice of the genuine, the sound of the genuine that resonates in all of us. Um, and he talks about us being um, idioms that are like no other idiom. The voice that we have, the sound of our genuine will be full unique. And at the same time, I believe it joins a chorus that is symphonic, that has um, wisdom of the ages and a song that's been playing for a very, very long time. <laughs> uh, maybe the music of the spheres either, even. It's, it's, there's something that you can tap into that's both within and beyond yourself, whatever you believe, that's going to feel like coming home to bring this full circle to where we started. And I believe that's the sound of the genuine. That's the voice that is your, your general that will tell you as a warrior which direction to go, when to unsheath that sword, when to sit still and just listen on the field. And it's the voice that hopefully will meet you in prayer or contemplation or mindfulness and affirm or challenge or just be with where you are, but it's, it's, it's that coming back. <laughs> it's that call and response of, of choosing to stay attentive to those things as you stand in the tragic gap and you reach for something that's better than that on your own behalf, but also on behalf of your community. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much on the table here and so much, um, to respond to, I, I think rather than responding, I, I kind of want to clarify and maybe build. I, I think listening to you both is so, it's so interesting because I think there is a way in which um, I'm thinking like, it, I think the term warrior, because it's so, in, in at least in the cultures I feel like I've been a part of, it's revered. So I think it can easily become like an archetype that we apply blankly and broadly to all things. Um, and then we, again, just like mindfulness lose, like what is it and what is it not? Um, I think that what in, from my perspective, what Cami described as the knowing is not a, it, it, uh, the knowing is the intuition and intuition can flow in somebody who's actually not a warrior, but who is a healer or an artist or a, so I, I think that there's ways that that knowing is, I would call intuition, um, potentially. And then I would talk a little bit about how, you know, listening to you both, I was thinking, well, does everybody like, maybe somebody doesn't want to be a warrior or they're not a warrior or what is that? Right. And, um, does everybody, you know, the question I would pose is, do, do we, there are some people who take on that archetype always, and it is that, you know, that they embody in all that they do. I think there are some people who find they are called to do that kind of warrior's work at some point in their lives for a season. There are other people who use it archetypally who need to, you know, either want to lean in or need to lean in in a, a specific relationship. I do think that we, 
what I was thinking as I was listening to you, because I was asking myself questions as you were as you were talking, because I was trying to understand, like I said, what is it and what is it not, and what are its limitations. Um, it seems to me that I can't imagine a life for anybody where you wouldn't at some point at least need to have access to that archetype at some point just for yourself in your own life, um, whether it's pushing through a scary um, you know, situation in your environment or a, a really um, debilitating doubt or anxiety. Um, so I do think archetypally we all need to have that in ourselves at some point in our own lives. But I do think it is true that there are some people who will only use it then. Like that's really, it's they're not going to embody it on behalf of, um, you know, beyond that. That's just not who they are potentially. Um, and then I really liked what you were both saying about protection. And I really love what Amani was talking about when it came to um, Parker Palmer's work in that that gap between you know, what, what is and what could be. And I do think it seems to me, for example, that when I think about the archetype of the healer, for example, um, and the difference between, for example, a healer and a warrior, um, there is this frontline aspect to what Amani was talking about for a warrior, where a healer really ideally in some ways is not necessarily specifically on a front line around a specific boundary, for example. Like they might need to be back from frontline work in order to take care of, you know, the wounds and the distress um, and be, so there, at least as I listen and I think, I'm thinking a little off the top of my head, but I'm also been thinking about this for a, a few decades, I guess. Um, you, you know, is that there is a way that the warrior's work um, does have to, it, I think we're, we're finding our way toward this idea that it has to do with protection. And it also has to do with some kind of um, um, like negotiation of boundaries, um, whether it's pushing things to expand and to be more, for example, inclusive about, you know, how maybe exclusive something has become. That kind of pushing and tugging against something to me can be healing work, I, I think, too, but I think it's definitely a, a feels like a, a warrior's work to be on that front line. I think that's really helpful. Um in terms of giving us categories um, and trajectories for thinking about this, because I do believe you're right that some of these archetypes are who we are, who we're born to be perhaps, or who we choose to be, or who are socialized to be. And some of them are seasonal patterns that we take on. Um, and mindfulness can help us to be aware of what our choices are and help us orient in space and time to where we need to invite ourselves to be archetypally or what's going to be um, most helpful and purposeful. Um, I think because of where we are right now culturally and because of um, where I am specifically, but where we all are um, in relation to this pandemic, um, both the um, 
COVID-19 pandemic and um, the pandemics of um, climate change and uh, ways in which dehumanization happens globally. Um, a lot of the folks that I work with, I know that you all work with too, are leaders. And so there's a way in which the warrior paradigm comes forward for people who um, have chosen to be or have been lifted up as leaders differently than folks who may have um, chosen or been born into situations where they may not have to make the decision to take a stand for or fight for something that others don't have a decision about. Does that make sense? I think because we're working with leaders, that idea of um, that mindful question, who am I? And then that um, clarifying question, what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and further, how am I supposed to engage my purpose? That point of engaging purpose is the point where you decide, okay, am I the healer? Am I the warrior? Am I both? And how is this going to manifest best in this moment? Um, do I have a choice or is this a split second decision that I have to make? Hopefully, if we're making those split second decisions, the practices that we're talking about that support and undergird them, help them to be split second decisions that are still in integrity with who we are and what we believe our purpose is. Um, and that, I think, is the goal of a lot of the coaching that we try to do at Mindful Warrior. Yep. Beautifully said, Imani. And uh, I I was reflecting as you were talking on what um, Cami had said, and I, I think I'm going to butcher this a bit, Cami, so hop in here. But I really appreciated what you said about um, kind of staying the course, even when um, maybe your, your team has evaporated for some reason or you haven't found them yet. Um, that, that, that's, that, that feels like it's in the mix. I love what Amani said. We can be both, we can be multiple archetypes at, at, at a time. We can be maybe a hybrid, you know, of like Venn diagrams. Right. And I think there's a, this hybrid too of warrior and visionary is what I, I kind of hear in a little bit of what Cami's saying, which is the ability to stay, to see something well beyond, um, you know, what, what has been enacted and manifested and to, to stay true to something, which I think would probably fall for me in the realm of faith and, um, you know, trying to walk a pilgrim's path. Right. Um, and, and so, but there's that visionary quality also. I think I loved what you had said, Cami, about that, that staying the course, um, despite or in spite or, or in the midst of chaos or confusion or that does feel very much like visionary warrior hybrid energy. And I think we help a lot of people figure out, you know, when we think about when we do that culture design work, you know, part of what we're helping leaders do is establish their visionary, you know, that, that true North, that compass, that header, so that um, as they're, you know, bringing that kind of, really warriors energy that kind of directionally you know future oriented um kind of trailblazing energy it is moving in a direction that's intentional and and effective and strategic and you know for us we also work with 
you know, values, as Mani said, you know, that's values driven and strategic. So, and then staying that course is a lot of those hard rights over the easy wrong along the way. Absolutely. And I think just like the saying that it can be confusing or disorienting at times of like, you know, wh why am I, I think I use the word discipline, staying disciplined to this. Why is this so meaningful, purposeful? It's aligned with my soul. And so that's just, I think that kind of develops and builds out the armor as a warrior of like holding true to that, uh, which drives the discipline, even in the kind of darkest and spookiest moments of it. And I think a warrior, the word warrior, you know, is, is the perfect word to get through those, those periods of darkness, um, even being alone and even facing darkness together. Um, but specifically mm -hmm. alone, um, and that waiting period, you know, we've done some read, I've done some reading recently around that waiting period and the discomfort in that. And, no doubt you have to be a warrior to get through that um, and the trust that's packaged along with that in yourself. Um, definitely. Well, I appreciate taking a deeper dive into uh, what it means to be mindful and what is a warrior. Um, this has been such a joy to be all together uh, as a team on this call and just hearing everyone's voice and perspective. Um, I appreciate your time and, and your knowledge that you guys have both have shared tonight. And thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Cornelia. Thank you, Cami. Thanks, Amani. Thank you so much for joining us today on what will be our first episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. I hope that you enjoyed the incredible insight that was shared by both Cornelia and Amani as we explore the world of mindfulness and warriorship. I wanted to highlight two quotes from our time together today, one on the topic of mindfulness. We are learning as human beings how to use these beautiful brains and bodies that we have to move through the world in a way that we can be consciously driving our own vehicle of mind, body, and spirit. And on the topic of warriorship, warriorship is deep willingness to fight for your values or sacrifice for or risk for what is most true, just, good, holy, or loving to you. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio. Thank you again for tuning in and following along. To learn more about Mindful Warrior, Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior or check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you.